0: Welcome, everyone, to the Friday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I'm your host, as always, Tyler Crawley. And it is Friday, which means you made it through the week. Well, kind of. You're almost through the work week. I guess depending on... I'm assuming you're listening in the morning. So we're almost through. If you're listening in the afternoon, congratulations. The weekend is here, but it is Friday. And I'm not going to lie, it was kind of a light Thursday. It was one of those days where... You know, you had some data, kind of the weekly data that you get every week, jobless claims. And, you know, we got mortgage rate data from Freddie Mac, but nothing really big, nothing getting a lot of attention, which, you know, makes sense. Earlier this week, we got a lot of data uh, on housing, we got new home sales, pending sales. And then today, we got a lot going on today. We got Jerome Powell speaking at Jackson Hole. You know, what's the chair of the Federal Reserve going to say? How's that going to impact markets? Obviously, monetary policy. What does that mean for rates going forward? And then, well, actually, I'm trying to think. I think Pal is speaking at 7 a.m. So then we get, no, no, it can't be 7. Is it 7 a.m.? What time is Pal speaking? I don't even know. I should look this up. Uh, but then we're also getting the information, uh, the PCE index, which is the Fed's preferred, I almost said favorite. It's actually preferred inflation gauge so we're gonna i know we're getting that at 8 30 so i think pal is speaking at jackson i want to but 7 a.m i mean that is that western time? is that whenever i don't know what he's speaking i'm not even going to try and look this up because <laughs> i'll spend 10 minutes trying to, here we go 10 a.m eastern standard time he'll be speaking that makes more sense i was like 7 a.m i mean is that eastern time that means he's going to be speaking at 6 so yeah, um, he'll be speaking today. So 10 a.m. later t- today. <laughs> I've spent way too much time talking about Jerome, which that's okay because we don't have a ton of kind of data to get into on today's pod. But I do want to get into a big one because I actually this was this was towards the end of the day. I was kind of just going through all my different sources, and I saw this over at CoreLogic. And I said, yeah, that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. So do you guys remember the conspiracy? Well, you probably do. It's still out there. And this this won't stop it. But there was a conspiracy theory floating around that Wall Street wanted to buy up every single home in America. And they wanted to make us a nation of renters. And this is, this is something that's been floating around. I remember this was floated as an idea that millennials didn't want to buy homes because, you know, a lot of millennials entered the workforce either right before or right after the great recession. And so they couldn't afford to buy a home. And so a couple of years go by and all of a sudden they're like, Hey, young people aren't buying homes. Maybe they don't want to buy homes. Maybe there's this new kind of generation. You look at all these services out there where you can rent cars and you can stay in a hotel, you can, you know, Airbnb and, you look at people living in big cities, and there's a lot of services that that revolve around renting. I mean, usually you're renting a place uh, if you know let's say you're in New York or you know like I said a big city d c or somewhere and you're young, you're probably renting, and you're using services where you're renting services like a car or anything else. and there was this idea that millennials didn't want to buy things and then, of course, as they started making more money as the economy recovered they started buying homes and cars and moving out of the city. And they literally did nothing different than any other generation, other than maybe it took them longer. Millennials that are my age and a little bit younger, because I'm in that weird kind of, some people would claim I'm a millennial, others would say I'm not. I think the official definition is 1979. I was born in 81. Some say it was 83. So I'm right around that kind of cutoff point. And so people that are my age in their early forties, late thirties, they started doing all those activities later than say our parents did, and Generation X. And so it's definitely boomers. <laughs> and so it had it gave up this perception that we didn't want to buy stuff, but we did. We just didn't have the money. And then we got the money, and we did the same thing every other generation's doing. And so I think this is sort of just every generation. They go, oh, they're not like other genera. No, they are. It maybe it's just taking them longer. I don't know what's going on, but there was this myth that now younger people, whether that's, you know, young millennials or what's the Gen Z, what is, I don't even know what the age gap for Gen Z is. Are Gen Z's, can they buy homes yet? Or are they looking at, I don't know. We're going to be a nation of renters. And this also, you know, fed into this idea that corporate America wants to buy everything and their greed and they just want to destroy the wealth because that's the only way you can build wealth, right? Is you have to destroy the wealth of others, which is completely false. That's the stupid idea behind you know socialism, which is there's only a certain amount of wealth. And therefore, the only way everyone can get it is if you redistribute it, which in reality, as we all know, the way capitalism works is that you become more productive and you create wealth. And then you have new wealth and then new wealth and new wealth and new wealth. And that, tr- and then that moves its way through the, I almost said trickle down. You can't say that trickle down economics. <laughs> that's it's like a trigger word for some people. You can't say trickle down economics, but that's that's the way it actually works. That, that, at least that's, that's what I believe. And so there was this conspiracy theory that Wall Street wanted to buy all of these homes and wanted to make everyone a renter. And I do want to point out that there are plenty of ways that you can build wealth without buying a home. Sure. Is that the number one way? Is that the way most people do it? Is that a great way to do it? Yeah, 100%. But it's not the only way. (laughs) I think, doesn't Elon Musk, Elon Musk doesn't own any homes and he's doing okay. He seems to be somewhat wealthy. (laughs) Yeah, but think about how much wealthier he would be. If he owned real estate, (laughs) he'd be he'd be really be the richest man in the world. He wouldn't just be the richest man in the world. He'd be far surpassed everyone else with his extensive real estate portfolio. Okay, so why am I talking about this? Well, a new report out from CoreLogic looks at investment homes or I should say investors buying single family homes and surprise, surprise. In the second quarter of this year, investments plummeted in the single family home market. Investor activity in the single family market fell 20% in the second quarter of 2022. That is an eight percentage point drop from the 28% or the 28% high reported in March. Okay, hold on let's bring that back for a second, has fallen to 20%. Not, it actually fell 30%. I'm getting confused here with all my uh, percentages. So it fell to 20%. So 20% of single-family home purchases were by investors of all types. That's Wall Street, that's small investors. I think there's small, medium, large, and then mega. And that's mega, not MAGA. Mega investors. like gigant, That's like the Blackstones, of the world, so it fell to twenty percent from twenty-eight percent in March, and that was a thirty percent drop. Investors set a monthly record, actually in June, not of twenty twenty-two, but in twenty twenty-one, with one hundred and forty-seven thousand purchases. This level dropped to, or dropped thirty-seven percent to ninety-two thousand purchases in June of twenty twenty-two. So investors are pulling back. Now, it's still high. While sales for investors have fallen dramatically, the levels are still elevated from a historical perspective. June share is still high and would be more in line with 2019 and 2020 peak activity, which usually happens in January. And as I mentioned, there's different levels of investors. And so of that 20%, this is of the 20%, 48%, you, 48%, so nearly half, are small investors. That's people who own less than 10 properties. That's somebody who you know owns a home, they got some extra money, and they're like, you know what, let's buy an investment property. A lot of people do that. Great way to build wealth, no doubt about it. And it is the most common type of real estate investor. The majority of single family homes are owned by small investors. They make up 48% of nearly all inventory purchases at the end of Q2. And if you look at the actual data, I mean, I think there might even be higher than that. I think it's maybe 60 or 70% are small time investors. Then you have medium investors. I think that's under 100, which is between 10 and 100 or something like that. Uh, They saw a big 4% drop. That was the biggest drop of them all they still made up 28% of all purchases, followed by mega investors. These are the big guys, the Blackstones, the Zillow's, big time guys. Uh, they made up 14% of all purchases. And then large investors, I think they're between 1,000 and something. I don't know. <laughs> I probably should have that in front of me. <laughs> but you got small investors and then you got you know giant ones. Uh, large investors, they accounted for 9% of all purchases. And what's funny is if you look at like the actual data, like Wall Street, even though it's, I mean, they did start buying up homes. I mean, of course they did. And even at that point, I think if you looked at all the numbers, they still, you know, big investors, mega investors, I think they own like 2% of all. So it was, was, they would need to be buying like 100% of homes Every single quarter for a couple decades, in order for them to be able to get to a point where they would own all the homes and make everyone a renter. So the big question is: Is this surge over this this push for big investors and mega investors? You know, we're seeing big, even medium investors. We're seeing big drops. Well, Thomas Malone, economist over at CoreLogic, writes that quote investors are likely more sensitive to the recent interest rate increases than homeowners. You know, For homeowners, the decision to buy is often a lifestyle choice, but investors may be considering single-family homes as an alternative to another potential asset. Therefore, rate increases could cause homeowners to look for maybe less expensive alternatives, such as a smaller home or property in a more affordable neighborhood, but the same dynamic may persuade investors to preserve pursue investment options outside of real estate. I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, it's more bottom line. I mean, if you're living in a home and you love that home and prices go up, rates go up, yeah, you might be more likely to say, I'll bite the bullet. I'll find somewhere to cut. But when you're bottom lining it, I mean, when you're someone who is purely an investor and you're not going to be at that home every day, and all of a sudden it doesn't make sense anymore from a bottom line perspective, a balance sheet, no, then you're gone. You're walking away. And so I know we think, I know you were thinking, well, Tyler, these big investors, they're not borrowing money at, you know, a mortgage bank or a lender, whoever you're using. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, remember, rates are going up for everyone. Uh, I mean, the Fed funds rate is how much, you know, banks borrow from the Fed. And of course, investors borrow money from banks. And so as the bank lending rate goes up, what banks are charging investors, (laughs) that goes up as well. So all of a sudden... Maybe it doesn't make as much sense with home prices reaching a level that they're at. People wondering, are we going to see a correction of prices? Investors are going to walk away. I mean, this is just the way it works. I mean, one of the reasons why, everyone, why investors were flocking to real estate is, I mean, good luck. Over the last year, the stock market has been, I mean, I, or I should say, excuse me, the last eight months, because I think at the end of last year, the stock market was reaching all time highs. It's been, a, it's been a volatile year. I mean, the market is down. I mean, at one point we were in a bear market where, you know, back up above that, but it's it's a down year. Real estate is not down. Real estate is up. You look at a home. If you bought a home at the end of last year, you're probably up five, 10 percent, if not more. And investors were looking at these 20 percent year over year increases in real estate. And they're like, that is a good place to park your money. I mean, real estate's always looked at as a safe investment. It's not a high-yielding investment that all of a sudden it was making a ton of money. And you're hearing about rent skyrocketing. It just made sense. But the calculation has changed. Borrowing rates have gone up. Home prices have gone up. And we're starting to see a slowdown, not only in home prices, but in rents. And all of a sudden, for some investors, it doesn't make sense. I mean, it's a cycle, the business cycle. That is how it works. And here's what's funny is so I was reading about this and and, and writing my post over at the website, marketsandmortgages.com, by the way. And I'm not even kidding. Like right on cue, it gets reported. This was a a tweet from George Perks. Blackstone single-family landlord halts purchases In 38 cities. (laughs) I mean, it was like on cue. I mean, here I am writing about, you know, this myth of, you know, these investors buying up all these homes. And, you know, the minute it stops making sense financially, they're going to stop buying. And it looks like we're getting to that point. And then it's like literally within 20 minutes of me finishing this post. This tweet came out, and it came. I think it was probably first because usually when I see these tweets and all caps, it's because somebody copied it from a Bloomberg terminal. So Bloomberg must have been on this, but that's where I first saw it. Was George uh, Perks, and it was it was like on cue. It was like, here you go. Here is where we're going to see the big time investors. Wall Street's realizing that the money's not there anymore. You know, we're we're, we're hearing predictions of stagnant. Home price increases and rents possible, especially if you go into recession, you could see a stagnation with rents as well. And so all of a sudden, it's like, well, never mind, doesn't make any sense. We're gonna reallocate our investments. and that's how quickly it happens. I mean, that is how quickly it happens. And it was just so funny because it was and by the way, that was Black Stone, not Black Rock, who I think most people attribute to. Wall Street buying all the homes. There's a misnomer there. I remember BlackRock had to sit on a press release, like, no, we're not doing that. That's actually Blackstone. Um, all right, I went kind of long on that story, so I don't want to go too long on this podcast. So, real quick here, uh, this is kind of good. This is some good news here. Jobless claims data for the second week in a row beat expectations, even though the prior week was revised downward. I mean, you would think that you know it's revised downward. Uh oh, now you're definitely not gonna hit the hit the mark, but they did. Seasonally adjusted initial claims were two hundred and forty-three thousand for the week ending August the twentieth. That was a two thousand claim decrease, and that was off of the previous week's downwardly revised level of two hundred and forty-five thousand. Economists had projected that claims would increase the two hundred and fifty-three thousand. So that's ten thousand claim miss. Uh, the reason for the jump, I should or excuse me, drop, I should say, New Jersey, good for them, fifteen hundred fewer claims. California, thirteen hundred, and Indiana, just over twelve hundred. And then for some reason, Massachusetts saw three thousand. No, I'm sorry, thirty seven hundred new claims. I don't know what's going on up there. Uh, Connecticut was up 1,500, and New York was up 442. And then continuing claims also saw a dip with to a seasonally adjusted rate of 1.415 million. That was actually a decrease of 19,000. So that also beat expectations by a pretty big margin. Economists thought it was going to jump up to 1.44 million. So... Pretty good. Job data. A lot of people were, you know, paying attention to labor markets as we see things slow down and initial claims had been rising for a couple of weeks. And now the second week in a row, we saw that data drop. And then before we go, this is markets and mortgages. So let's talk about the latest mortgage rates. This is from Freddie Mac, their weekly survey, which of course is not a quote, this this is not where, I'm not saying this is where the rate is. <laughs> if you were to call me, um, this is what Freddie Mac is saying, this is where they have their mortgage rates. And so it's, it's it really what's great about this report is it gives you an idea of which way rates are moving. It just sort of lets you know, are rates moving up or are they moving down? Are they seeing big jumps, small jumps, whatever it may be. So the Freddie Mac weekly survey, they had rates, the 30 year fixed at 5.55%. This is up 42 basis points. That's a big jump. That is a big jump. I don't care what the rate is. That is a big jump. The rate is now up 268 basis points from one year ago. But here's what's interesting. We've seen some fluctuations between the 30 and the 15 in uh, even the arm rate is that there's, in some cases, the 30s jumped, 15s fallen, or vice versa. In this case, a big jump with the 15 as well. Jumped 30 basis points to 4.85%. And they're now up 268 basis points from one year ago. And then mortgage rates, in case you were interested, this is a big jump. They have not been this high since June 30th. And they're still technically below the high that we saw on June 23rd when it hit 5.81%. And everyone thought that 6% was right around the corner. And then we saw a couple weeks in a row, big drops. And now we're moving back up and i have a feeling that the 6% conversation is going to start once again good way to good way to end as we go into the weekend uh but it's a big day here on friday as i mentioned at the start of the pod we got Jerome Powell speaking at Jackson Hole and then we got the inflation data from PCE we got the feds preferred Inflation gauge that out. So we'll be talking about that on Monday's podcast. You guys have a great Friday, an even better weekend, and we'll see you here Monday morning for another edition of Markets and Mortgages. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.